um, what is the right wine pairing, you know, before they start listening to your episode? For me, I would say choose a champagne or a sparkling wine, a Prosecco, a Cave, um, you know, what have you. But, you know, something effervescent, something bubbly. Because champagne is a very festive drink. And I want people to be festive when they read that book. Okay. And they listen to this podcast. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen. An attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Blom, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk. Good day, everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And as always, I'm delighted with today's guest who will introduce himself. Otto, please go ahead. Maurice, thank you so much. It's just an absolute delight to be here on Walk, Talk, Listen. So thank you for that uh, opportunity and to um, spread the word about increasing consciousness, raising awareness, uh, promoting sustainability, and all these good things we need to do on this planet to make a better place to live. So little bit about me. Um, mm -hmm. My dad's parents were from Budapest. Okay. My mom's parents were from Naples, Italy, and they immigrated over here and they met. So I'm an Italian-Hungarian roots, born and raised outside of Cleveland. I'm a second-generation American, six kids in my family. And I had the fortunate blessing that when I came out of the birth canal, I knew I was going to be a chef. And how could one know that then mm -hmm. other than that is divine intervention? Um, because growing up in the 60s and 70s in Brown Helm, Ohio, this not even a town, but a township, um, and choosing the career of a chef was just sort of a strange, if not unheard of, occupation at that time. Uh, but I, I stayed the course, and um, I cooked all throughout high school at this restaurant called McGarvey's in my hometown, which was in existence for over 75 years. It was an institution. Um, famous, the only dockside restaurant on the Great Lakes, um, had a plan. I, I knew I was going to be a chef, knew I was going to join the Navy at a very young age, started cooking in high school. I joined the Navy, um, took the oath to protect and defend this great nation. I cooked on a nuclear-powered submarine. I was stationed on the USS Patrick Henry in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. So historic, mm. to say the least, to be stationed there. And um, every day when I went to visit the, the sub's office, when I wasn't on the sub, I would pass the Arizona Memorial twice mm -hmm. a day, five days a week. Um, so moving to say the least from, from this little, you know, country bumpkin from Brown Helm, Ohio, um, honorably discharged. My, my plan was to join the Navy, get out, use mm -hmm. the GI bill, go to cooking school, go to the CIA, um, took some twists and turns along the way. Um, actually got a job as a chef instructor at the CIA some 20 years later. So <laughs> I did go there, yeah. but I got a job there, which was kind of amazing. To, that's that's the biggest coup of my career. And, um, you know, speaking of careers, you know, the, the, the biggest highlight or joy or mm -hmm. treat for me in my career after cooking for kings, queens, presidents, rock stars, athletes, I catered my 25th high school reunion. Mm. Uh, and Hey, that was, it, it, it still is a treat for me to even talk about this because 
I got to go back home where it all started and I, and I got to show all these classmates, hey, this is what your your buddy Otto has been doing for the mm -hmm. last 25 years. Um, and this is this is this is what it's about. And, and, and let me please, you know, honor myself and you with with my gift. And it was uh, it, it was special, to say the least. And I'm and, still and were they, were they surprised, uh, Otto, that you you know had become this chef? I don't think it was so much a surprise as mm -hmm. the, as the fact remains. They knew this crazy kid named Otto was oh. going to go be a cook. Mm -hmm. You know that, that that word chef didn't even exist back then. Oh, mm -hmm. oh there goes Otto. He's going to go be a cook because you know he really doesn't have the mental capacity up here to to be a doctor or a scientist. Uh, and, and, and that, and, and that's all well and good. And, um, you know, I, I tell you something very interesting out of that whole situation. This gal I went to kindergarten with Barbara Carney, she was an English teacher. I'm going back to the reunion now. Mm -hmm. She said, I, I talked to my students quite often about you. I said, Barbara, I, I was the class knucklehead. What, what on earth could you tell your kids about me? Well, I tell my students that I knew this kid named Otto Borsage. I knew him from kindergarten. And when he was five years old, he knew two things. That he was going to join the Navy and be a chef. And Maurice, honestly, it didn't hit me until that moment in time mm -hmm. how lucky I was because mm -hmm. that was my MO. That's what I was doing. Doesn't everybody else know what they're going to do at age five? Yeah. And you know, for the for the listeners, um, actually, you, you wrote a book about it, which is a really amazing yeah. book. I, I do think, Otto, you need to have an audio book, you know, where you where you read it yourself, because now, you know, my wife and I are taking turns in, in reading it for each other. Um, and I, I think it's better to listen to you. Um, I, I'm not going to ask you to tell, I mean, all these stories, because I think, you know, the, the folks should should buy the book and listen and, and, and read it themselves, right? I would like to to ask you a couple of questions, though, uh, about the book, because that's about, you know, your upbringing and, and um, you know, ultimately, yeah, informed about where you are today. And that is about uh, when you were small, you had a, you had a disease. So, so tell a, a bit about that. So it was, it's, it's called Perthes disease. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it's a rare disease. And even when I talk to medical personnel who I meet in a social situation, a, a doctor, a nurse, what have you, most of them scratch your head at that. They they don't they hmm. don't know what that is. And it's called Perthes disease. It was actually called leg Perthes, L-E-G-G, -G, mm -hmm. Perthes. That's the two guys that um, founded it or discovered it, if that's what you want to call it. I believe yeah. they were both French. But it's a vascular disease, a disorder whereby the blood flow stops flowing to mm -hmm. the femur, to, to the head of your thigh bone there, into the pelvic region. So what happened with me was the blood flow stopped, and so the, the femur, the top of it wasn't growing anymore into the pelvic region. Mm -hmm. It was more or less flat, and I was walking with a limp. And so thank God I lived 30 miles from the Cleveland Clinic. My parents took me there after mm -hmm. the local doctor and the, the county hospital didn't know what they were up against. Oh, take him to the clinic. Went to the clinic, boom, he's got Perthes disease. Well, what is that? What I just explained. So I was in traction for a solid year with a 15-pound weight pulling on my leg to get my femur out of the pelvic region. Mm -hmm. Now, that may sound painful, but it wasn't. It's just kind of like a constant, steady tugging. 
It, you know, it wasn't a 50 pound weight. It was a 15 pound weight. Um, so, and I had to be flat on my back the whole time because if I sat up like I am now, the traction wouldn't work properly. So the only time I was able to sit up was go to the bathroom and eat and do my schoolwork. So I had a tutor for an entire year. Uh, and then what that was phase one. And then what we were waiting for was for that femur to get completely removed from mm -hmm. the pelvic area. Once that happened, they put a brace on my left leg, which was in traction. And there was a three inch separation or difference between my left leg and my right leg. Mm -hmm. So they put a brace on my left leg. It was a one straight. It was a, so I was immobile with my leg. I couldn't bend my knee. And that brace was going to drive my femur back into the pelvic region. And I wore a three inch cork platform shoe on my right foot to mm -hmm. uh, make it for the difference of the of the inches that was lost by the traction or gained, I should say, whatever. So wore that brace for three years. So what, what did that do to, uh, you know, a, a boy at that age, I think go, going to school, I, I assume because, you know, kids are not always nice to each other that you had a hard time. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And, you know, Hey, hop along and, 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 and crippled and peg leg and, but Hey, I persevered brother. It did, it did. I don't want to say it didn't affect me. Largely, it didn't. On the surface, it did. But I was so focused as a kid that I knew I was going to be a chef. And during mm -hmm. the Navy, I, I, my, my life was in front of me. You know, damn the torpedoes. We're going forward. Mm -hmm. So it, it it really didn't phase me to be on. Hey, I, I, I still ran. And when I ran, I could only bend my right leg and i had yeah. to take the left leg and swing it out mm -hmm. as, as i was running you know, play tag play kickball played baseball played basketball yeah I, i i still gave it the college try yeah and what if what i find amazing what you describe in the book you know when you were diagnosed you had something like oh this is great right because now they finally found what is wrong with me and we can do something about it yes and and i i feel that And, and you also did a, uh, a, a TED talk about this, that really what you learn there is is still what, what helps you, you know, drive and go on a, on a daily basis. Tell a bit about uh, that, Otto. If I owe anything, two things. Hmm. To be right here, right now is one, persistence. Hmm. That, that, that's, that, that, that's my middle name. That's hmm. my DNA. That's my fiber to my core. So that's persistent. And then the other important thing that's right neck and neck with that is relationships. Mm. I mean, hey, we just met, what, less than a month ago? And here we are chatting, and, I, and I'm so grateful, and I thank you for this. And, and I know we're going to have a long relationship. It's going to be awesome. And can't wait to see you again and have wine and drink and just talk about life and, and, and increase, uh, you know, the compassion on this planet, uh, you know, to help others. Um, So yeah, the persistence came about with my brother who had this um, uh, quote on the wall from Calvin Coolidge about persistence. Yeah. It's, a, mm -hmm. it's a famous quote. And and when I read that, when I was eight years old with that brace on, I'm like, that that's me. Mm -hmm. I, I'm persistent. I didn't really know what that meant yet, but that's when it clicked. And it's still clicking. Mm. And and you you know when you ask your brother what does it mean, your brother didn't explain it, right? No, he as I say in my TED talk, he he gave me Noah, 
Mm-hmm. Not the Bible, but but Webster. I mean, look it up. And I, and I looked it up and I was like, you know, I'm eight years old. I'm reading this. I'm like, oh, okay. So this is what persistence means. And and this is what I'm doing because, you know, despite the name calling, despite the, uh, you know, the disadvantage of not being fully mobile, like all the other little boys and being able to ride a bicycle, I'm, I'm focused. Mm-hmm. I mean, Maurice, I got to tell you, it, it's not just me, my brother. I mean, there's no question I was blessed from birth. And I thank the good Lord for giving me the skill set and the wherewithal and the gumption to get up and get on. I, I I would like to to ask you though is have you ever asked your brother where he you know got it from because you know why did he put that on the wall have you ever asked him never asked him and unfortunately I won't be able to ask him mm. because he's he's passed away unfortunately but that boy was persistent mm. um, I mean he was he was a bulldog mm-hmm. he, he 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 was amazing my my brother I mean. He was so bloody smart, my brother. Oh my God! So he he graduated valedictorian from high school. He you know he did his undergrad down at this small college called Rio Grande in Southern Ohio. He went to law school to Akron. He became a lawyer. Um, he was a deputy solicitor. He was a solicitor. He became a criminal attorney. And then one day, to my surprise, he said, um, "Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to get out of law and um, I'm going to do something else." And I'm like, "Why are you doing that?" He's like, yeah, I want to be like you. I'm like, why in God's green earth do you want to be like me? I'm just like this knucklehead chef, you know? He's like, look at you. You've been all over the world. I haven't left this country. I want to travel. So he left law. He became a nuclear medical technician. Mm. And, then, and then at age 50, Maurice, age mm-hmm. 50, he went to nursing school. Oh. When people are thinking about retirement, and this isn't like you're going to be an accountant or or, 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 or some other silly job, if you will. He's he's going to he's going to nursing school at mm. age fifty, and he became a traveling nurse, and and he loved it. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, he was taken away too soon. He was only sixty. He was sixty four when he passed, mm. and just two years ago. But yeah, he was he was persistent. Yeah, and and he was your only your only brother. No, no, there's 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 six kids in my family. I'm the fifth. Oh, you told you told me that. Yeah, yeah. that's okay. Yeah, there's yeah. one daughter and then five sons. Okay, and and you know what what type of relationship did you have with your brothers and sisters? That's a great question because you know one thing we didn't discuss, uh, but it's it's in the book that you know we, we were a mixed family. My mother mm-hmm. had a previous marriage, yeah, married not to a nice, not so nice guy. Mm-hmm. Um, they got divorced, and then that's when she met my father, and then they had three more kids. I being one of those kids, and you know, that word half-brother, step-brother, stepsister, divorce, that never existed in my house growing up. Mm. And we got along like we were blood brothers and sisters because as far as like we all knew, we were. So mm. that was a great thing. Both your parents, actually, you describe, you know, with warmth and, and a lot of admiration and tell tell the listeners a bit without telling, you know, giving the secrets away of, of the book. But tell a bit about about that. About my parents? Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they were unique. Again, they were they were the son of immigrants, so they had a whole different mindset than 
what I would have because mm -hmm. I was born here as an American, if you will, as they were, but their parents were off the boat, so to speak. And I mean that uh, in, in, in the most sincere fashion as, as I can. Mm -hmm. and, and, and there was two very different dynamics there. My mother was the 12th of 13 children from Italy. And her parents ruled that house with an iron fist. Mm -hmm. And when you got 13 kids, that's what you have to do. My dad's parents were quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. Very loving, gentle, kind. Um, and as they say, Maurice, opposites attract. So, um, but my parents were deeply deeply in love they were like teenagers my friend up until my mom passed away in 04 my dad never remarried never even dated never even thought about it um yeah they they love i mean my dad worked at ford for 30 years and every mm -hmm. day without fail he would call my mom on his lunch break they they loved each other they had a routine he would go, he'd leave the driveway, he'd honk the horn and wave, then he'd make a left turn. And my mother would run from the front window to the side window to go wave by to him. Mm -hmm. And one day I said to her, Mom, you know, why do you do that? Do what? Why do you wave by to dad here at the front? And then when he turns down Cross Road, you run over that window and you wave mm -hmm. to him again. Yeah. Maurice, she said to me, that may be the last time I see your father. Mm -hmm. my brother they were in love mm -hmm. i mean what an ultimate answer have you ever been in 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 love like that oh yeah yeah unfortunately it didn't last mm -hmm. uh you know i was married to this gal named Dottie. she was a filipina her name is dorothy birth name but she went by Dottie. oh my god she was cute as a button and um She was just one of these people that everybody came first. She made sure everybody was taken care of. She was so full of love. She was so giving. And she was amazed by every single thing. And she loved everything. And I always enjoy giving this example. I came home one day and uh, grocery shopping. We're unpacking the groceries. She pulls this box out. Oh, what's this, babe? Those are dryer sheets. What are those for? Well, you put them in the dryer and they make the clothes smell good and reduce the static clean. Oh, I love that. And, and Maurice, that's how she was. She loved everything. Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, she, she passed away a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. She passed, not even a couple. She passed away last year, uh, February 27th, after a, a, a reoccurrence of cancer. It, mm -hmm. it, it came back quick and it came back with a vengeance and it was unkind. But um, I'll, I'll give you an example of how much love my, my daddy had. Mm -hmm. it, 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 there came the point in time where I had to tell her that we were going from the hospital to hospice. Mm -hmm. And I asked her, because um, it was my full intention to take her home. And I said, Dottie, we're, we're, we got to go to hospice. And, you know, do, do you want to go to the facility or do you want to have hospice at home? She said, let's go to the facility, babe. I said, are you sure? Yeah, babe. I don't want to put that stress on you. As if I wasn't weeping enough. This woman on her deathbed with days to go says to me, I don't want to put that stress on you. That's who I was married to.
yeah yeah thanks for sharing that uh also I'm yeah so yeah about of course that. of course um so how, so how how are you doing now I'm, and I'm, ask, I'm asking you this question because i you know for the, for the listeners why is he asking but yes please please go ahead it's okay because you've told well, me I'm, this before that's yeah that's, uh, yeah i'm i'm great and and, and i'm being 100 honest and, and transparent open. that's number one that's the only way i operate does it hurt is it tragic does it suck that my wife is gone absolutely but guess what life does go on and i know Dottie would not want me moping around drowning in sorrow and i'll tell you something in interesting maurice um it was an entire month in this hospital well darn near say it was 25 days in in the hospital and then two days in hospice and she passed away in hospice and I was a wreck for those 27 days, obviously. And when the 27th of February rolled around at 12.30 a.m. and she took her last breath, I had no more tears to shed because my tears were gone. I was dry. And I told my brother this, who's an army nurse, two tours in Iraq, who's seen his share of messed up stuff and heartache he says that's because you were in an anticipatory state of grief and when that hammer finally fell and she took that last breath i had no more tears to give um and let me just rewind here so april of 20 lost my father may of 21 lost one of my very best chef friends a brother from another mother Terrell Brunet from Louisiana, wild man, crazy Cajun. Me and him were tighter than two peas in a pod. Three, four months later, lost my brother in July of 21. Lost Dottie in February of 22. So those three deaths were sort of buffering me to accept what was going to happen when, when I lost Dottie. And what it comes down to is this. How in the world can I be sad that Dottie has left to another dimension when in fact she made me so happy when she was here? And when I see pictures of us and all the stuff we did in two years, and let me tell you, man, we did more stuff in 24 months than people do in 24 years. And, and, you understand you're not from this country, but can you imagine getting married to an American and hopping in a car and getting married in Vegas and having a two week honeymoon driving across country and seeing all this amazing stuff this great country has to offer and then some. And, you know, with me, this crazy American tour guide, you know what? The last two years of her life, she went out with a bang. And for that, I'm happy. For that, I'm, I'm overjoyed that I was able to. Let her experience that. Also, just that you know, you you are you did a TED talk, and we talked about it a little bit before, and um. You know, you you highlighted the persistent, and you talked about relationship. But actually, in the title of your TED talk, 
you also talk about be present. Is is that what you know helps you to you know cope with these type of situations and you know? Yeah, but and and that's something I, that I work on every day. You got to be present, um, as, as my friend Vets likes to say. Don't be future tripping. Hmm. You know, don't, don't be getting so caught up in the future that you're missing the moment. Not that I operate that way. I'm just quoting what she says. And hey, the past is just that. The future's not here yet. And you know, the the old expression, you know, today's a gift. That's why it's called the present. And yeah, I meditate in the morning. Um, I go to the gym, I work out, and and I gotta stay in the moment. And I I I, I gotta be in a place where this is now and and the 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 things that you've been through in the past are just that you don't know what's going to happen in the future you just need to slow down and be present and observe what is going on and enjoy every second of every day and you know most people say hey um that's great you got to make memories with her or 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 make memories and and to that maurice my whole thought about that has shifted since Dottie passed away and my thought on on making memories is not so much make memories but make every day memorable and the only way you can do that is being present thanks Otto for for sharing that and I, I really think that for a lot of the listeners it's yeah I mean it's comforting and, and, and because you know there are, are many folks struggling with similar uh, challenges um i would like to to take you to you know actually the, you know the reason that i started this podcast uh, you know the podcast is a spin-off spin-off of a 100 mile walk that i started in 2012 to raise uh, awareness and funds to end hunger poverty and injustice um and then you know during covid i was not able to be I had to walk alone. So so then I thought, oh, but the nice part of walking is also that sometimes I talk with the other, uh, you know, with co-walkers, with people that I invite. So then I came up with the podcast. So virtually walk and talk and listen. Um, the, the, the question that I always ask to my guests is, if you would be asked to walk 100 miles in five to seven days, so that means 15 to 20 miles a day, uh, for which cause would you walk, and why? Yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty easy answer for me. <laughs> I mean, there, there's no thinking about the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a chef. It's my job to feed people, um, mm-hmm. and not just people who have the ways and means to go to a restaurant um, to eat the food I'm preparing. That's not what I'm on this earth for. I'm on this earth to use that gift and to feed people who can't afford to eat the people who are impoverished, for people who fall on hard times, who don't have the ways and means to not only eat, but also don't know a lot about cooking. Um, and, you know, we need to educate people about properly cooking something, even if it's something as simple as a roast chicken with mashed potatoes and green beans or whatever it may be from whatever culture you live in, from whatever corner of the planet you come from, from whatever national dish is in your DNA. You, you need to conquer that because that's your soul. That's your roots. That's where you came from. It's really important. Um, and for me as a chef, 
that's so important to me because that's my passport to you as an individual that, hey, I want to sit down and 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 eat the food you grew up with, and I want to share your, with you the food that I grew up with, like chicken paprikas, for example, mm-hmm. Hungarian dish. Like, so many people don't know what that is, and mm-hmm. it's it's the gift, and you know you got a gift, you know you've come to recognize that you know you have this talent, and 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 you put your gift in place to walk these hundred miles a week. You know I have a gift. My gift's to go overseas to faraway places and, and even places right here in America. And I consider myself a culinary missionary. This is my job to spread the gospel of food, to feed people not only in their belly, but spiritually as well. That's my gift. That's what I'm doing. We all got gifts. You need to use that gift because that's what you were put on this planet for. And if you're not using your gift, you're shortchanging yourself and you're shortchanging the other 8 billion people on this planet who are counting on you for you to do your part. And, but you have a very specific dream, you know, you, you call it FEAST, isn't it? Yeah, it's called FEAST. It, 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 it's an acronym for Feed Every American Starting Today. And this is a, a lightning bolt that hit me uh, in 91. And it, and I said, that, that that's it, Otto. You're going to, you're going to recreate the first Thanksgiving on the White House lawn. So I was I was writing George Bush, George Hubert Walker Bush, the father, senior. Um, didn't get no reply. That That's fine. And and more and more, I'm getting involved. And let me just rewind for a second and say, all through the 80s, from 82 to 92, I was in New York City. Mm. And, and the 80s, man, that was, that was decadent. That was debauchery. That was wild. I mean, Wall Street, Greed is Good, Gordon Gecko, and there were people comparing Manhattan to ancient Rome. It was off the charts, crazy. Um, and when I was going to work at these at the Pier Hotel where I did my apprenticeship, and I saw this person rummaging through the trash to get his, you know, minimum daily requirement from a pizza crust that was someone discarded, and I'm cooking a rack of lamb that costs 30 bucks. This guy hasn't seen 30 bucks in who knows how long. And, and 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 so growing up in Ohio in that small town, this agricultural hamlet of Brown Elm, and then seeing this extreme wealth, especially in the 80s, and this extreme poverty due to Reaganomics, um, that's when this huge light bulb went off. Like, Otto, it's not about being a chef at these fancy restaurants and feeding your ego and getting on the front page of the paper and 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 being, you know, being the chef de jour. Because you're making, you know, a swordfish chop. Um, it's it's about you using your gift that the good Lord gave you to sustain others. That's what this is about. That's when I had the awakening. Um, when when I listen to you, Otto, I I hear a lot, you know, of spiritual language um religion religious maybe even um when i walk uh with my co-walkers and this is happening actually physically when i physically walk but also when we virtually walk we often talk about you know what's the meaning of life um and and we talk then you know slowly also about what is happening with the younger generation are they different are they less uh, spiritual are they less religious you know all kinds of theories around this and all kinds of observation 
My question to you is, what do you see happening among youth in your community with regard to religion and spirituality? It's a great question. And, 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 and I'll just start by saying, you know, going back millennia, you know, the older generation, the parents and the grandparents, and, and, and the new generation coming up. I'm going 5,000 BC, okay? We're going way back. Caveman, go back as far as you want, okay? Them kids growing up, their grandparents and, oh, oh, these kids these days, right? That's, that's been going on since time. And it's going on right now. And, and oh, these millennials, and they want to live in the basement, and they want to play, you know, video games, and, and they want another stimulus check. And is that true? There is some truth to it. But I'm happy to report that as a chef of Athens Country Club in Athens, Ohio, I got three 20-somethings on my team that are unbelievable. And it's yes, chef, no chef. What can I do next, chef? And I never once ever told them to call me chef. I, I don't get wrapped up with that. And at my age, my goal isn't so much to teach them how to cook, which I do on a daily basis, but my job is to pour into them life lessons, okay? Wisdom that I've attained over all these years and to pour into them. And these kids are so receptive, okay? Look at my niece. You know, she's my, 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 uh, my this is my brother's daughter. Leah, Leah Borsa, she is a sophomore at the University of Dayton, full, full boat ride, Air Force ROTC scholarship. She is amazing. She is incredible. And I'm not just bragging on her because she's my niece, but she's one of many kids that are going to that school doing the same thing she's doing. Her brother, my nephew, Dominic, the kid's a genius. He loves to run. He's on the cross country team. He, 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 he's into it. He's a lifeguard at the local pool. He's, he went to a, an, an FBI training camp for a week long uh, class uh, immersion, if you will. He's thinking about becoming a spy or a forensic expert. So on the flip side of that, last year, I'm interviewing this kid for a chef, for a cook's job. And the kid says to me, do I get a signing bonus? And I said to him, do you think you're a professional athlete? And, and, and he just kind of looked at me and he asked the question again, do I get a signing bonus? I said, your signing bonus is outside the front door. This interview is over. So again, back to caveman days, the, el the elder generation has always questioned the younger generation and there are superstars out there um like my like my 20 somethings at work like my niece like my nephew who are surprising us in very astonishing ways i keep the faith brother it's good stuff out there and but i i'm going to push you a bit Otto, because i asked you then you know what do you see happening with regard to religion and spirituality mm -hmm. so i understand what you're saying so you know there are always tensions between generations but let us specifically, you know, focus into, you know, spirituality and, and religion. Um, has that changed? Is that changing? Or is that in essence still the same? Or what, what do you see? Um, just, just like multitudes of generations through time are changing. Of course, religion and spirituality changes. 
Um, you know, you didn't have Deepak Chopra or Oprah or Dr. Phil or any of these other pop psychologists and real psychologists, you know, 50 years ago. You know, you had, you know, you, there was Sigmund Freud 150 years ago. He, he was it. So, of, of course, spirituality, psychology, all these things change over time. Why do they change? Because we're constantly learning just like my nephew and my niece who wants to be an FBI expert and, and is going to be an Air Force officer after graduation. They're learning. They're bringing stuff to the table that has never been brought to the table before via their gifts. So how does spirituality and, and religion all fit into that? Um, well, it's about upbringing and how those parents raise those kids. That has a lot to do with it. And as I always say, there's no bad kids, just bad parents. And it's cyclical. Those parents parented their kids how they were parented. And if it was a messed up mom and dad relationship with the children, if they didn't, if they don't stop the cycle, their kids are going to be messed up. So that's religion. Whether it's Catholic, Baptist, Jewish, Hindu, Muslim, Shinto, you call it what you want to. There is religion, and I do believe the religion starts at home at the dinner table with the kids and the mom and dad, and they're breaking bread, and they're discussing what happened that day because they're being present. And that's the religious part of it. I mean, hey, I was raised Catholic. Catholicism no longer is something I practice. I do go to Catholic church twice a year, Christmas and Easter. It's a beautiful ceremony. Um, but I don't believe Catholicism or any other religion has a monopoly on God. And as I like to say, we have so much religion, we are killing each other and not enough religion to love one another. Um, hey, be a kind human being, uh, you know, love each other, show gratitude, be tolerant, be compassionate. That's religion. Whether you want to put your particular God or deity in there, that's up to you. But stay in, stay in that lane and you're going to be fine. Um, yeah, although you, you know, you, you shared your passion about, um, you know, ensuring that everybody is, will have access to food and there are many challenges around it. There are some more problems, uh, in the world, um, you know, to solve these problems, uh, the world has come up with 17 sustainable development goals and goal number two is end hunger. Goal number one is end poverty, you know, and, and, and. Uh, my my question is: Have you heard about these uh, sustainable development goals, or are also called global goals? On the periphery, mm -hmm. if you will, I, I I haven't drilled down to all seventeen of them, but I I, I got to believe and 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 with my heart agree with hunger and poverty that needs to be eliminated, and and we can eliminate it. Um, we have the resources on this planet, uh, especially here in America. Um, we lack the political will to do this. I mean, every, every so often you hear, oh, we're going to end hunger by 1990. We're going to end hunger in the year 2000. We're going to end it in 2030. We're going to end it in 2050. We're still talking about it because it still exists. It's persistent. And we need to be persistent to, to win that battle. But it's, a, my brother, it's, we don't have enough time to discuss all this. 
But I will say, if we keep at it and we, not to sound cliche, but if we teach that man how to fish instead of giving him a fish, if we preach sustainability, if we show them how to be better agriculturalists and use organic fertilizer and show them how to uh, gather that harvest and possibly cook it, and maybe they can have a little restaurant in their village where they'll sell one item of what they're growing and 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 in turn make money to buy seeds for next year's crops. That's just one step in this chain, but there's a thousand steps that we need to take to solve this problem. But hey, the Romans built the Colosseum, the Egyptians built the pyramids. We put a man on the moon. Are you sitting there telling me that we can't put our collective heads together and tackle this problem and for the good of humanity? Make sure everyone on this planet has got something to eat before they go to bed at night. Just my two cents. Oh, no, no, thanks, Otto. And, and <laughs> so, so there is a there is a you know growing group of people who are saying you know one of the reasons that we are not reaching those seventeen goals that we uh, set or uh, we are at least behind in in reaching those. And one of the reasons is you know these are system changes that need to uh, happen. But we are not paying proper attention to the skills, knowledge, and abilities that we need as an individual and as a community to get these done. And uh, so they did, you know, a survey among you know a couple of thousand people around the world, and they came up uh, when they analyzed the data with five inner development uh, goals that you need to keep in mind. The first goal is being. Second is thinking, relating, collaborating, and action. Now, I, I, I know you did not have time to have a deep dive. That, that's fine. But if you hear me say that, those five goals, being, thinking, relating, collaborating, and action. Yeah. What, any, any thoughts? If not, that's fine uh, as well. Uh, no, 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 no. It's, I mean, you wrap that up. That's all about being present. But... Hey, Maurice, at the end of the day, you, me, Elizabeth, your wife, um, you know, our dear friend, Max, we are all accountable for our own actions. And I also believe in the universal scheme of things that people I just mentioned and the 8 billion other people on this planet are responsible to share their gift and make a difference in this world, whether it's, you know, large or small, whether it's in, in their hometown or it's. 8,000 miles away because you have a gift. Max has a gift. I have a gift. Elizabeth has a gift. And, you know, your gift is this podcast. And my gift is about feeding people. And, 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 and you have what I need because now you're going to take my message and broadcast it out there. And I have what you need because perhaps you're going to connect me to people who need a chef who's passionate about ending hunger. And I can go forward and do my job as a warrior on this planet and do what I was blessed to do. And therein lies the issue is that, you know, people, I got to believe, by and large, the bulk of people on this planet got huge hearts. They want to help out. But this hunger problem is so huge. What can I do? But there's something you can do. And if we all do something, then we're going to solve that problem.
you were talking about connecting, connecting people. Um, you know, I, I hope that this podcast indeed will contribute to, to that, that, you know, more people will be connected to each other, more people will start listening to each other, then maybe start talking and, and, and you know, start doing some, some positive things. Um, now, within the podcast, I have a question where I really connect you with the previous guest. And the previous guest had a question for you. Ah. So, and the question is... So if you could meet any, any one person, who would you want to meet and why? That, 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 there, there's not even a discussion with that. I mean, the, you know, Jesus Christ. I mean, he roamed the earth 2,000 years ago. He picked 12 disciples. We're still talking about this guy. We're still trying to walk like him. We're still trying to do what he does. We're still trying to be that example of tolerance, of compassion, of kindness, of love, of generosity, of acceptance. And we got a long ways to go, brother. But yeah, I love to sit. <laughs> I love to sit down with him. I'd cook him dinner. I'd give him the best fish sandwich he ever had. That was that was a loaves and fishes analogy. Okay. Your question for the next guest. Yeah, I love Steve Jobs and I love, he said so many things. The man was just utterly brilliant. But to the next guest, I'm going to ask him or her, what are you doing to put a dent in the universe? Okay. And Maurice, I, 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 I'm sorry. I, I love you doing this. What a, what a cool connection. What a fun thing. I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. No, it's it's a lot of fun to do. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm really exactly. so so humbled and honored always to talk with these different folks. Um, hey, Otto, a, a while ago, or maybe it's still, be, it's still uh, going on, and I'm, I'm not very good in, in following what's on television, but Steve Hartman of CBS at a certain point, uh, or maybe still doing, I was examining how one simple act of kindness creates a ripple effect. I have two questions uh, to you about this, you know, the simple act of kindness and its potential to create a ripple effect. One is, what are your thoughts about that? And second is, if I ask you now, right, you know, right now on the spot, um, to commit one simple act of kindness this week, what would you do? Oh. The second one is a bit more difficult. So let me tackle the first one. Um, I mean, there was a there was a bit of a phenomenon that was going on for a while, not that long ago. And, and I thought that was just amazing. Not quite sure how it started, but I guess it was some kind individual decided to pay for the person behind him at the drive-thru at McDonald's or Jack in the Box or wherever they were. Mm. Oh, hey, I'm going to pay for that guy's meal. And then that guy... I don't know if he felt obligated or he wanted to pay it forward or whether he, and then this domino thing happened. And then I guess it was a fad and people got tired. They didn't do it anymore, but that is just an insane example of, of, of kindness and a, mm -hmm. and, a, and a domino effect of what could happen. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not quite sure if this is the proper answer or not, but I'm going to throw this out, out at you. And, and, and I found this most interesting. Um, <clears throat> I, I love my team at the country club. They're solid. They're respectful. They work hard. 
They're fun. We have a good time. We work hard. We play hard. First time in my career ever did I outfit everyone in my kitchen from the dishwasher to the sous chef with personalized and logo chef jackets. That doesn't happen. That only, only the chefs and the sous chef get that. I got everybody tricked out with their own custom jacket. Okay. That was, that was a week ago, Saturday. Mm. And I had, I had some uh, index cards with a phrase or a single word on each card. And I had them draw a card and you keep that card. That's your card. Don't tell anybody else what's, what's, what that word or that phrase is. And you sleep with that. You eat with that. You live with that. And you determine what that word means to you. Because you're going to get called on that sometime soon. I promise you. So fast forward a week later, just this past Saturday, we had a wine dinner. And of course, I knew I'm going to bring the whole crew out to introduce them to the guests. And I pulled the last word. I, that, that was the only one that was left. It was teamwork. So I talked about teamwork and what it means to me. And I quoted the great Charlie Trotter and said, what I learned from him was you want to run a kitchen where no one knows who the chef is. And that's a pretty insane example. And sometimes people scratch their head like, well, why would you want to have a kitchen like that without a boss? Well, it actually means quite the opposite. You want to have a kitchen that's run by everyone who considers themselves the chef and takes initiative and takes responsibility and is determined to become a chef one day. And that's a practice ground for them to do so. Doesn't every owner want that in their employees? So this little card game that I played or word game, mm -hmm. Charlie didn't do that, but that was a Charlie Trotter type thing that I learned from him. And then I had each one of my team, they didn't know this. I said, you guys, make sure you got that word, that index card in your pocket today. I called them out one by one. And they had to talk to the guest about their word. So that's that was my hmm. act of kindness and generosity and, and hopefully lesson that they're going to pass on eventually to their crew when they take over. Okay. Thank you for sharing that, uh, Alto. Yeah, that's, yeah, of course. That's cool. Um, yeah. Any any message, invitation, or question for the listeners? Uh, I'll I'll ask the same question to your next guest. The, 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 and I'll, I'll ask the listeners. You know, what are you going to do? How are you going to use your gift that the good Lord gave you, and only you? And certainly, other people will have the same gift. I'm a chef. There's tons of chefs out there, mm -hmm. but there's no other chef like me. There's no other lawyer like Perry Mason. <laughs> what are you going to do to use your gift and your specific personality and skill set and uh, overall 100% being to make a difference, to make a debt in the universe? What are you going to do? Um. Otto, I, I um, this is the second time we we meet actually. Yeah, um, and and uh, but I, I I do know that you like me. You know, music is very important to you. Um, so I always have a question about music for my guests. And um, well, I know that that uh, you love music because every chapter of your book starts with a with a pairing of of the right song. Um. If I would ask you to mention a song or a piece of music 
that embodies for a big part what Otto is about. Which song or piece of, mu of or music would that be and why? It's not a tough question, so to speak. It's a difficult question because there's so many darn songs out there and so many great songs. Mm -hmm. and, and, and to narrow one down is a challenge. But if I may throw a couple of three at you, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm persistent. So, I mean, automatically. I, okay, I, I, you're, you're, you're a chef, so you, you can have a, you know, an, <laughs> an appetizer, an entree and a, and, a, and a dessert, right? Okay, you can, you can yeah. go for three. So, so, so being, being persistent, I, I got, I, I got to go with Tom Petty, mm -hmm. great, great American rocker, tons and tons of hit songs, um, won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. Mm -hmm. That's about being persistent. Okay. Um, I believe in the goodness of this earth, the beauty of the clouds in the sky, the, the, the ladybug on the grass, just like my lovely wife, Dottie, she loved everything. And hey, what greater song to uh, put to music for that would be Louis Armstrong, What a Wonderful World. And then last but not least, I love the classics. I, I, I love those, you know, that 40s era of, of you know, the Tony Bennett's, the Dean Martin's, uh, mm -hmm. the, 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 the Sinatra's, right? So I always love that song by Sinatra, The Best Is Yet To Come, because baby, I'm 63 right now. I got second win for the second half, and I got more going on now than I've done in the previous 63 years, and I can't wait for the next round because the best is yet to come. Okay. Um, Otto, these, these questions, these, these conversations actually always go fast. Yeah. Um, so I, I really would like to, to thank you for you know the time that you spent uh, together and it's awesome to listen to you. Although I have to say, I was expecting that you would pick a song of Bruce Springsteen, and and you know, again, the, the <laughs> listeners should should you know should read the chapter that that Otto yeah. has written about Bruce Springsteen. Um, yeah, is is there any question that I should have asked you and didn't? Hmm. Wow, wow. Now, brother, that that's a now that's a wild question. Um... Question you should have asked me, but didn't. Oh, you you you, you stumped me on that one. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, is the, maybe something fun like, uh, hey, what what's your what's your most memorable meal, or what's your favorite thing to make, or something along those lines. So, mm -hmm. um, that 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 said, uh, you know, and people have this general idea about chefs, um, mm -hmm. about oh, I, I can't imagine what he eats at home. Let me tell you something. I, I'll tell you what's in my refrigerator. Oh, that's a great question. What's in your refrigerator or freezer right now? I, I, I got some nectarines in there. I got some yogurt. I got some Gatorade. I got some iced tea and lemonade. But I got about five pints of Ben and Jerry's in the freezer. <laughs> um, and in terms of what I like to eat personally, uh, I, I'm pretty simple. I, I love a great sandwich. Hey, I just I just had a fantastic pastrami sandwich like this at uh, Katzinger's in, in Columbus. Great deli there. Um, I love a good simple pasta with you know just fresh picked ingredients. And if it's pork and I'm braising it, I'm a happy camper. Um, but by and large, most people think, oh, he must eat like a king at home. 
listen, when chefs go home to eat, they're throwing something together that's quick, very tasty, but quick. They've been mm. cooking all day. They don't want to spend 10 hours cooking something. You know? Yeah, there you go. Great. Good, good questions, Maurice. <laughs> Although, thank you so much for your time and your willingness uh, to talk with me today. Please keep on doing what you do. You know, stay who you are. Um, maybe one last one for 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 the listener. So, um, and I will put this one in front of the of the podcast uh, the recording. Um, what is the right wine pairing? You know, before they start listening to your episode. Uh, well, that, that's a great question. And if they they want to like um, pick a wine, I mean, again, that's a very broad category. Uh, there's all kinds of wines out there from all parts of the world, but for me. I would say choose a champagne or a sparkling wine, a Prosecco, a Cave, um, you know, what have you. But, you know, something effervescent, something bubbly. Because champagne is a very festive drink, and I want people to be festive when they read that book. Okay. And they listen to this podcast. Thank you so much, Otto. And, Thank and, you. Uh, yeah. Take care. Take care. Thank you for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.